everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Who Says, the podcast that offers the opportunity for you to bring in curiosity around what is limiting you in your life. Perhaps it's the thoughts that steal your freedom and rob you of happiness. Well, look no further. We are here to provide you some freedom, clarity, and compassion because you are not alone. My name is Deanna, and I am joined by the amazing Jennifer and Tatiana. Hi, ladies. Hello. Hello. Now, I mentioned you are not alone. That is one of our goals for this podcast is to share from our experiences and provide our listeners with some freedom and clarity. And what a perfect segue into today's topic from that opening statement. We have a very special guest today that shares a similar mission for her life's work. So that brings us to today's topic. Who says you can't build a healthy baby on purpose? Like really on purpose, you can build a healthy baby. <laughs> now, okay, some of you may be asking me, Deanna, like what gives? I'm not looking to have children. Why would this be important to me? I have fur babies and that's what works for me. I, I'm there too. But I found this topic so intriguing when we had our call with dun, 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 Dr. Carmel, who is our guest. And in a second, I'll let her introduce herself. I found this topic really intriguing because how I listened to her share about building a healthy baby and fertility, as we will dive into, I am not looking to have a child, but I'm looking to also have a healthy body and a healthy future. So I listened to Dr. Carmel share about this in that type of way. And also listened because we're out to contribute to you, to our listeners. So if I have a friend that's going through these same things and these struggles, I want to be able to share all the knowledge and all the gold that we get from Dr. Carmel. Dr. Carmel, thank you for being with us. Thank you for your generosity. We are so excited to have you here. Oh, thank you. I'm so thrilled to be with you today and to have the opportunity to talk about this topic. This is the best part of the day, <laughs> the week, the month. It's my favorite <laughs> thing to talk about, basically. So we are so excited to learn more. And I will say one more thing. You know, also the ladies and I, we chose this topic because it is rarely discussed and it's widely experienced. And, you know, there are so many people, couples, individuals going through the same struggles with fertility, with, with trying to have children. So we wanted to shed some light on this topic. So Carmel, thank you again so much for being our guest. So can you kind of take us through, you know, your journey, kind of what, you're, what you do now? Us ladies, we'll just throw in some gold here and there, but um, <laughs> I'll, I'll hand it over to you. Okay, great. Perfect. So my journey really began, let's say professionally, about 18 years ago when I graduated as a doctor of chiropractic out in California. And immediately the next day, literally the next day after graduation, I was back in school because I was committed to become an expert, what we call in my field, a diplomate in clinical chiropractic pediatrics. And I did that. I graduated with that degree in 2008, and in the meanwhile, I was working with kids, and I was working with pregnant women, and um, I just knew that 
that's the way to make a difference in the health of society. And then I was like, yeah, it's really in the pregnant women. We really got to get the kids before they're born while they're still in utero and make sure that the mom is aligned and make sure she has a great birth. And, and then I started working with lots of pregnant women. And I was like, one day I turned to my colleague and I was like, we need to create a program for for women to prepare for pregnancy, not just for birth, like everybody does mm. birth education and birth prep classes, but nobody prepares for pregnancy, right? And that's how it all started for me. And then I went through my own fertility journey for the good part of seven years in my 40s. And I would say that that really propelled me into a whole new field of study called functional medicine that looks at the root cause of all kinds of health challenges. And that's where I got the answers that I was looking for after so long that nobody nobody could explain why I was having the challenges that I was in conceiving and carrying a baby to term. And that was like opening Pandora's box. Like there's, you know, when you open a door <laughs> and you just go and it's like a whole new world in there. And that's how I began my exploration. And I, at some point, I just knew like the reason I was put on this planet is to help people get healthy so they could have healthy kids. Mm. And so, you know, I went and got certified in functional medicine and started a brand new practice. And that's what I've been doing for the last year and a half now. Wow. It's so interesting. I know you shared when we had our prep call with you, you shared about peeling back the layers of basically like, oh, well, we got to catch this earlier. It's not about, you know, during the pregnancy, what can we do before the, the pregnancy? You would just never think like, well, what can I do to prepare to build the baby? <laughs> like that's, that's like mind blowing to me. It is. And, and everybody that I talk to, it's like, they're like, oh, well, that makes sense. But yet nobody <laughs> does it. If you think about it, most people spend more time planning for their wedding or their honeymoon, which is an important event, right? But it's an event or maybe a week in time, or if you're really lucky and you do a month honeymoon, right? <laughs> but it's like a specific set time versus wow, what I do, the opportunity is like what I do now to prepare and plan for my pregnancy and to get healthy before that, it's going to impact not only my whole life moving forward, but my child's whole life moving forward, my whole family's. You can change the trajectory of a lifetime of health. I get excited about that. <laughs> well, it really shows. It really does. You're so passionate about what you do. And it's so awesome and refreshing to, to meet someone or know someone that knows what their life purpose is. That's so awesome. And we're just so excited to have your knowledge and your sharing about this topic with us and with all of our listeners. When we talk about planning for the podcast and discussing ideas for episodes, uh, this was something that is near and dear to my heart. And if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you've heard me talk about my fertility journey. And this podcast, we're really committed that people not feel alone in their experiences of life. And I have felt very alone in my fertility journey. And uh, I know other people who have gone through similar journeys. So that has been supportive, but it's just kind of mind blowing to me how little it's talked about. 
I mean, I see lots of women in the waiting rooms with me at these different clinics, but in real life, I feel like I never hear about stories. I just hear about people when they're pregnant and expecting, and people don't really share how they did get pregnant, you know, if it was something that they needed support with. I want people to hear somebody talk about fertility and infertility and the struggle and I always thought it would be easy. I thought when I was ready and I decided like now's the time that I would just get pregnant because I never heard about anybody not being able to get pregnant. And my experience is not abnormal. And I sometimes hear maybe a celebrity or somebody, you know, will, I've heard mention that maybe they, they struggled or they, they did IVF. And I'll go online because I'm just curious to know more about the journey. I can't find anything because even at that level, I mean, they probably don't want to be scrutinized or, or judged or, you know, whatever, but it's frustrating. I want to know more. I want this to be a dialogue that we can have freely and people can feel supported and learn from. So the more conversations that I have around this, I learn from, and Dr. Carmel has been very eye-opening to me after two years of doing IVF, so much of what she shared, I had never heard once before. And I've talked to, off the top of my head, I think like five separate fertility doctors. And some of these things have never been mentioned. And so I'm frustrated. (laughs) I'm frustrated. And when I hear something that could make a difference, I'm like, people need to know. So Mm -hmm. I am grateful that we have this forum to do so. And that was really the whole reason why we started this in the first place. We don't have the answers, but we certainly are here to share. <laughs> we don't, but Dr. Carmel, she actually might have the answers. <laughs> well, I know we finally get to kind of have some answers <laughs> on our podcast. So thank you. Thank you so much for being here, Dr. Carmel, and for my for the power that you're going to give to so many people in the way that you did for me and feeling like I actually have more of a say in how this goes. Yes, you do. You're not just uh, that bystander just show up. Like you said, I'm not going to just show up for appointments. I want to be empowered. I want to know what actions I can take. I want to be part of this process, not just be like, okay, all right, here I am. Let's Mm. make me a baby. I hear that very frequently. That's a very common sentiment that I hear. When I was going through treatments myself, I kept asking, well, you know, what can I do here? What can I do there? I was told, okay, yes, you can get acupuncture. Okay. Yes, it's a good idea to eat a a low carb diet that helps improve egg quality, but it wasn't a lot beyond that. And I already came into it with the knowledge of, you know, being a physician, right? So I was hungry for more information too. I was hungry for more research and I just, I wasn't really given that myself either. So I had to do the looking myself. Yeah. Well, you, you know, you mentioned two things specifically, which is like low carb diet and acupuncture. And I already knew I wanted to work with an acupuncturist because of other friends' experiences, but no, none of the doctors encouraged me to do that nor did anybody ever mention a low carb diet. I specifically have been under the assumption, and I think the doctors around me assume that it's a quality, which has been the problem. And I would ask, you know, is there anything that I can do? Cause just tell me, tell me so I can participate and I can feel like I'm, I'm doing something. 
And I've actually been told there isn't anything that can be done. So when you mentioned that about low carb before we started recording, I was shocked. I have actually been told to my face that there's nothing that can be done. So it's more of just like some months are better than others. And that's really, that's all you got. So you at least were told something, even though it was not the complete story. And I didn't even get that, or I haven't gotten that until now. So I wanted to share that because that very well could be other people's journey too. It really amazes me. There is so much you can do, and there is so much more information that you can have that can guide your lifestyle choices and to make a difference in your journey. I I have to say, like, probably my favorite test for this particular topic is a um, type of genetic test that's called grow baby, right? Because we want to grow a baby. All of the genes that are looked at, the variants of them or how they're expressed, they're all based on genetic expression that you can alter through your lifestyle choices, such as sleep, stress management, exercise, diet. So it really guides you and what's most appropriate for you based on your genetics. And when I discovered this, I was just, I was blown away. It's like, how empowering is it that you can be like, oh, okay, my genes, it's not like something written in stone. I can actually change the expression of them. So you may have a specific gene, for example, that has you not as effective at breaking down fats in your diet, okay? So knowing that, you can be responsible for that and take specific supplements to support your body in breaking down those fats or taking something before your meals like digestive bitters or digestive enzymes to help you break down those things. So that's one example. This test looks at all kinds of birth outcomes. Like what is your risk for having a baby that's smaller for gestational age or larger or having developing gestational diabetes or hypertension or preeclampsia, right? When you get pregnant or your risk for miscarriages. And then it continues on into the health of the child. So the implications for this, it's like, to me, it's like the most empowering test in the world because it really gives you like, here are some concrete things to do. So to me, I think it would be incredible to have every woman who wants to get pregnant to do this test so that they can be empowered in their pregnancy. Yeah. And it sounds like there's so much you can do. A ton. You know, it sounds like, yeah. And the fact that this information is not widely out there got to spread the word. I know. That's why I'm so thrilled to be here today, to really spread the word. And as I was saying that, it occurred to me, sometimes too much information, like we hear about, oh, well, you can do this and you can do chiropractic and you can do acupuncture and you can do meditation and you can, you can do Mm -hmm. dietary changes and you need to sleep like this. And you can wear a little (laughs) ring. Like I have on my finger that measures my sleep and it tells me (laughs) things. Oh my God. Ah. Right. And sometimes too much information can also be overwhelming. So what I like about this test is it it gives me a way to help people focus. This is what's going to make the most impact based on Mm. your genes, right? There are other things like, you know, what's your thyroid like right now, right this second, right? But this is a cool test. 
It sounds amazing. And is that what you do with your clients? Like first off you give them this test or yes. how do you go? Okay. That's, that yep. sounds like it'd be step one. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, well, step one is basically we do a very, very detailed um, history. Another thing I like to do with my patients is do uh, a timeline and start out not when you were born, but rather like if you can, you know, talk to your mother about what was, what was her life like before she conceived you? Was she under stress? Do we have poverty on board, right? Like what were the mm. factors that impacted her health status? And we haven't even gone to this area, but your dads, right? Like the, the men, are the often the forgotten and the most yeah, you know, I'm about. so glad you're bringing up the men because come on, <laughs> they have a shared responsibility. <laughs> they, they sure do. Yeah. Let's make them do more work in this process. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> Seriously. I always said they always get the best end of the, of the stick and the whole thing. <laughs> right. I would love for you to share a little bit about that because something mm -hmm. that you said, I, I had never heard before because the focus for me in given that I'm in my forties is this advanced maternal age equality. And that's really just, that's everything that we think about. So when you shared like the third three, three, I don't know how, if it's like a third rule, I'm going to make that up. I'm going to, I'm going to name it. When you shared that with me, I was like, oh, this isn't all my fault. I mean, I, yeah. I sort of like in jest, but that's kind of how I feel because nobody else is really saying that the results of these genetic tests that we do, which keep coming back as abnormal, we just keep coming back down to the same idea that it's equality. And I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, man. it's like, I'm sorry, you know, like it's, <laughs> it's my fault. And we actually don't know that. And in fact, that's only a piece of it. And like Deanna said, this is the shared responsibility. So I would love if Dr. Carmelo, if you could say a little bit more about that, because I never heard of this before. Mm, sure. Absolutely. Now, look, it's true that, that a woman's egg quality, it peaks when we're in our twenties and it does decline with age, but that's not the only factor that determines a, if you're going to get pregnant, if you're going to carry that baby to term, and it has nothing to do with if you're going to have a healthy baby even. Just because you can get pregnant and you can carry the baby to term and birth, it doesn't mean that baby's going to be healthy. We have statistics vary depending on condition, but as an overall, we're getting to the point where it's very near 50% of children by the time they're three years old are having some kind of chronic health condition. So every other kid. And by the way, that reminds me, I'll do a little plug for my Fertility and Beyond program. I am launching this Thursday, which is a free lunch and learn once a month. I call it fertility and beyond because it goes much further than just, you know, fertility. We have, want to have those little babes be healthy. So going back to the woman and the man and how it's all related, and we'll, we'll call it the new rule of threes, right? Typically when a couple is dealing with infertility, a third of the time it's thought to be due to female factors. They call them factors. That's the scientific term, right? A third of the time, it's due to male factors. And a third, the other third of the time, it's due to a combination of both male and female factors. I'm like, holy cow, if two thirds of the time <laughs> wow. the guy is involved, let's pay a little bit more attention to the guy. Let's pay attention to the sperm, the shape, the size, the how it moves, how it, you know, dances, everything, right? 
we say that's normal, we can take it much further beyond and looking at like, okay, well, the DNA, the building blocks of life, if they're fragmented, if they start to come apart due to environmental exposures or stress or other issues, then we're going to have some miscarriage issues. It's not commonly talked about. It's really not commonly talked about. So here we are. We're making it common. Yeah. And you know, you never hear anything about the male, anything about the sperm quality, anything about that. It's always, oh, egg quality, or, you know, she couldn't carry the child, you know, whatever it is, it's always about the woman. So as the woman, you feel the responsibility of this whole thing. So thank you for sharing the other third of this whole thing. Like, what can the men do? Is it the same type of like, is it lifestyle? Is it the, the eating? What can they do to contribute to, to healthy sperm? Yep. Well, there's a number of things. A lot of it, again, you, you want to look at the labs that are, that are traditionally run because that does give you a clue as to what's going on. Now, there's also, it's important to look at their hormonal status, right? To look at their lifestyle factors, look at their metabolic health. Are they sleeping well? Are they stressed out? If so, how can we empower them with techniques and with strategies to get more sleep, more restful sleep? Another really big one, and there's a really funny video on YouTube. I'll have to share it with you. And it's all about, think about, okay, where does your guy carry his cell phone? Oh, where do guys carry his cell phone? Well, in one of their pockets, right? Yeah. How far away is that from their apparatus? Not very far, right? So inadvertently, they are kind of frying those, those little sperm. So wow, it is, it is impacting on sperm. I won't go into the, you know, nitty gritty stuff, but it is impacting the quality of the sperm and their ability to do their things. And, you know, are their DNA fragmenting? So there is a test that's called the DNA fragmentation index that measures to what degree are we having some fragmentation issues. Those fragmentation issues are common in particularly in first trimester miscarriages. Oh, wow. Now, could they also impact their total function and ability to fertilize an egg? I don't see why not. I always take the case like I'm open to something when I hear about, when I learn about something new, even though it hasn't been proved by a gazillion double-blind studies, I'm open to, well, this might be a factor just because Mm -hmm. we haven't done million dollars of research on it. We still need to consider this, especially if we know it's already a harmful thing, like having a cell phone. (laughs) Close to the uh, apparatus. (laughs) When women keep their cell phone in their bra, and I'm like, ah, uh, yeah, <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> no, please don't do that. Please take it out of there. Now, you were also saying before that I that I found it was intriguing was when a man is actually obese when they conceive the the child or the baby. You were saying that there's like more chance of diabetes and weight issues for that baby for the child like down the road like that I just was like what I did not know that that was such a huge factor when at time of conception 
when the, when the male, and this is all the male. Hello, we're still talking about the male. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes, we are. We could even call this, you know, the, who says men don't contribute to your... <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I like that. Yeah, that really yeah, blew no. me away when you shared that. Your baby is a result of a snapshot in time of the parent's health. You hear these things, just like you said, well, there may not be millions of dollars uh, proving this you know, hypothesis. And sometimes you hear things and you go, well, that makes a lot of sense. So we should probably be considering it. So you say that and I go, well, why wouldn't that have you know, mm-hmm. a direct impact? It never dawned on me. To me, this is mind boggling. It makes me wonder, have I not done enough research or like, how do we not know this information? You yeah. just haven't met Carmel yet. <laughs> I had it. Deanna, thank you a million times over. I'm going to start working with Dr. Carmel because I, when we first spoke with her, actually before we spoke to her, I looked at her website and I just, for the first time, felt some hope, felt some empowerment. And I was like, mm-hmm. I needed to talk to her one-on-one. I'm ready to take back control over this process that has really felt completely out of my hands. Mm-hmm. And for me, hopefully it does result in a healthy baby. There's no guarantees though. I'm not going into this knowing, awesome, great. I found Dr. Carmel. We're done. I just need to like follow. But I'm really curious to better understand what's going on with me because overall I feel fairly healthy. And there are things that I deal with that I think I'll probably be surprised to learn have been impacting. So why not just at the end of the day, I'll just come out of this healthier, hopefully with a healthy baby, but you know, I'll, I'll be healthier in return. And I'm just now very committed that more people know that this is possible and that this, this information exists out there because I haven't come across it before. And, and I told Carmel, I was like, I will hundred percent be your partner in disrupting this field. Mm -hmm. Same. Yep. Yeah. Because people shouldn't, they shouldn't have to go through this feeling like you were talking about certain things like um, gestational diabetes and preeclampsia and these things that to me, in my very limited knowledge, I'm like, it's just, if you're lucky or not lucky, that's honestly how I think about it. I never knew anything different. So to know that we actually have this information available to us that could indicate whether we're at risk, what in the world are we doing? Like why, again, why is not everybody know? And so, you know, there always has to be similar to Dr. Russ being the messenger around how to manage and heal your anxiety. It's like, we have the answers. They're just not widely talked about or known. So getting to be a piece of it and then also benefiting from it, I feel so, so grateful. So circling back around, Deanna, thank you a million times over for bringing You're welcome. Dr. Carmel into our lives and <laughs> the lives of everybody who listens. You are so welcome. Oh my gosh. I'm over here giving <laughs> you big thumbs up. <laughs> I'm giving the praying hands for those that can't see. <laughs> praying, praying hand emoji. so we talked about women and what what women can do and there's a test and men of course do they take this the same test no grow babies just for women but there is a similar uh genetic test for men just a general um genetics now by the way these are not the same kind of genetics as you would traditionally do for testing like for uh inherited diseases such as 
Tay-Sachs or sickle cell or things like that. It's not, those are tests that if you're a carrier for that gene, there's not a whole lot you can do. You probably don't want to, if you're, you probably don't want to create a child with somebody that you're both, that you carry that dominantly, that could be a higher risk, right? But there's not a whole lot that you can do in your life to, to change the outcomes. You can be aware of it and monitor it and all those kind of things. But this is a test that gives you the opportunity to actually change your trajectory. And I always tell people, like you said, Jennifer, worst case scenario is you come out of this much healthier with improved vitality and vibrancy in life. Best case scenario is you get that and a baby, a healthy baby, right? So sounds like I'm, I'm winning either way. Winning. That's how I feel. <laughs> winning. I want to poke Tatiana over there and see if she has any questions or comments, because I think she's holding out on some gold. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're so funny. I'm really just honestly taking in and being with that there is something that I can proactively do I'm not actively trying to have a child right now. And I know that that is for me something I would like to do in the future. Given my history with the miscarriage and stuff, I want to be as proactive as possible. I don't want to get to the point where I feel like there is nothing I can do. And then there actually isn't anything that I can do. Although it sounds like there is always something I can do to a degree just based off of this conversation. So yes, thank you again for being with us, Carmel. Like this is just monumental to know that there is actually something and steps that I can take right now in this moment and conversations that I can have with my partner where like, like they can get in shape or they can take actions as well so that we're all on the same page is, I mean, one, just strengthens our bond. We can go into this process together as partners versus, well, why didn't you do this? And, you know, it's your responsibility to take care of the child. And that's just been what I'm used to hearing and what I've seen. And there was so much shame and guilt around everything that went into, you know, my miscarriage where I'm like, I don't, one, ever want anybody to feel like that. Two, I really did feel like everything was my fault and not even sure exactly why it occurred or if there was anything that I could do. I really thought it was luck of the draw. Oh no, suck that time. Too bad, mm. better hoping, you know, find crystals or, you know, start praying to the gods or whatever I need to do to hope that it doesn't happen again. But to know that there are actual steps that I can take from a health perspective is extremely empowering and really hopeful for me because I really kind of like what Jennifer said, I thought that diabetes while pregnant or preeclampsia or any of that was just kind of, oh, you rolled the wrong dice, sorry. From a genetic standpoint, that sounds absurd. You mean there really isn't, there's really nothing we can do? But that's just kind of how it was posed, that there was really nothing to do. And the older you got, too bad, so sad that you, you know, just deal with it. And it just sounds absurd saying it out loud and then knowing that that's the exist that people are living through, including myself. So I'm just really, really grateful that you are crossing those barriers, having these conversations and sharing that through your own experience, which is super courageous in, in my opinion as well, and really just provides empowerment and hope for me knowing that there are steps that I can take. I'm not trying to have a baby tomorrow, but I'm really excited that I can work on that so that that is more and more a possibility. It's never really too early. To start, people ask me like, how soon before I want to get pregnant? And I say, well, as early as you can, and at minimum three to six months. Most of the time my answer is it depends. It really, <laughs> because it really does. It depends on your history, your family history, your lifestyle, you know, what you're dealing with. For some people, three months, you know, they're good. And for some people, it might take three, four years. For example, people who have been on birth control pills for a long time, 
it's going to take a little longer to regulate the periods and get the hormones functioning as they should to, to support a pregnancy. So that's just one example, but yeah, as early as you can. Thank you for saying that. Cause I'm like, I've definitely been on birth control and I've definitely been told that it won't matter long-term. That's a yeah. whole nother episode. Holy cow. Yeah. That, I think, I think we probably, this is going to be <laughs> a fertility series that we just keep coming back to because there are myths that we need to unravel. But some of these didn't even exist as a myth for me. Like I wasn't even aware. But the birth control thing is you hear a lot about people who are like, all right, we're ready to have kids. I'm going to stop taking the pill. And then they're pregnant. So Mm -hmm. again, just like when people don't talk about the other experience, then you just have this expectation that it's as easy as that. For my mom, that has been what she shared with me is that she stopped taking birth control and had twins. Some people have said that perhaps it was kind of like, you would know better than me, but um, what I've interpreted as kind of like a spike in estrogen or whatever, just with the transition of hormones coming off of the pill, maybe potentially encouraged her to have twins or multiples. I don't know. Um, I'm sure that's probably false. And I relate it to at least one person, but. <laughs> um, I'm not sure about that, actually. Yeah, yeah. I, I would imagine that's not correct. But that's kind of what I had heard. Like my, so that was my mom's experience is like, okay, great. I stop. We're ready. And it happened. So to let people know, because it's not, there are actually a lot of impacts that I've heard related to birth control. And we're probably not hearing about them because big pharma is behind it Mm. and it's not to their benefit. So thank you for sharing that because I would have to presume that there's, you know, a vast majority of people, you know, listening or out in the world who have the same misconceptions and to give yourself time. I mean, it was funny when you're talking about people ask, how early should I start? And I'm thinking about, well, how early is too early to get healthier? You know, (laughs) That's, that's probably never a bad thing. And very often we need some good motivation to make those changes. So I can imagine it's probably a little bit easier when you're committed to, you know, having a healthy baby. Are there any other misconceptions that you want to share? That may be an impossible question. Well, you know, you know, what's interesting about it is how you talked about, like, you didn't even know that there were myths that, that are there that you didn't even know were myths. Yeah. There's something about when you become a practitioner Sometimes I forget what I know and I think that everybody knows what I know. And then I, I don't remember, like, what do people generally know Ah. and what do I know? Does that make sense? Absolutely. It does because it becomes so ingrained in you. It's hard to, did I know this before I knew it kind of, kind of a thing? Is this something that I heard? Well, listen, you, you got three people here that can definitely provide you with some insight into what the typical woman knows or doesn't know. I knew really like next to nothing before I started this journey. And after talking with you, I feel like my eyes keep getting opened by what you have to share. I had a thought of one myth that I think is, it may or may not be a myth and you touched on it a little bit. You said that it was true that there is egg quality declines after a certain age. I would have sworn up and down, left and right, everywhere that that as soon as I turned 30, it's like a wrap. Like I had it in my mind that when I was younger, I'm like, oh, gotta have kids before I'm 30. Has to be before 30. 30 is that magic number. So now here I am, I'm gonna be 33 next month. And I'm like, oh no, the ship is like sailing away. And I know that of course that is not true. 
And at the same time, there's still something there for me around it, just because that's how I've been told, you know, back when I was a behavioral therapist for children with autism, so many mothers would come to me and tell me, they would just be probing me with questions. Well, are the other mothers older? My husband left me because he told me that I was too old and we shouldn't have tried when I was older. And it wasn't like a one-time thing. I mean, multiple mothers were just so hurt by thinking that because they waited to have children, because they chose their career first, or because it was fertility issues, that it was their fault for waiting too long. And I was just wondering if you could talk to that or speak to that a little bit, because I know that there is some decline in age, egg quality due to age, but have you seen like a hard and fast, like this is the deadline, like you're screwed after this, um, or if you could touch on that. There is no hard and fast age. It's going to vary from person to person. And there are tests that we can do to find out like, okay, well, in terms of the eggs, right, which is the starting blocks, it's not an exact measure, but it's the best thing we have today, right? To let us know like, okay, how much of a rush are we in? Because one of the things, Jennifer, you probably noticed at fertility centers is there's a wide variety of ages of women there. I was shocked. I was in my 40s when I was going through this. I saw women that were in their 20s. And same, (laughs) you know, so it's like for some women, and this gets programmed when we as women are in utero, in our mommy's belly, the number of eggs that we have is is already set and determined before we're born. Now, there are factors that can impact, like, are we damaging them? Are we blowing through them too fast? Like, there are factors that impact that. But in general, we do the best we can with the lab measures that we have. There's not any one gene out there that says if you have this gene, for example, or if you're older, that you're going to have a child with autism. Couples are having children with autism of all ages. However, there are, this is one of the things that I've been on the hunt for ever since I got into this field. I want to find biomarkers, predictive biomarkers that will help us to predict, is this child going to have an issue in the future that we can deal with now? There is one of those on the grow baby test. So I don't want anybody to feel like, well, if I have this, I'm going to have a child with autism. Again, it's like an increased risk and there's still something you can do about it. You can turn it around. But it was just interesting that you pointed to that and the blaming game that was going on about that. It was just really disheartening because Very. obviously when I was a therapist, I had all of these different clients and we were all, I mean, the parents were all over the map in terms of age. You'd have younger parents, you'd have yeah. parents who were older, you'd have everyone in between, but usually the mothers and most often they were the ones coming to me with these concerns and these questions. And obviously I can't divulge a bunch of information about other clients <laughs> and things like that, but I'm like, I mean, I'm sorry. And I, I don't think that's really it. And autism is a whole nother thing we could discuss because that's like near, near and dear to my heart. But there are just so many factors that play into whatever that looks like. But it still just kind of points to, in my mind, how much weight there was on the mothers and how much weight there is on women to be responsible ones for whatever goes, quote unquote, goes wrong with the child, whether it be in utero or a couple years older, developmentally, whatever that looks like. There's so much pressure for us to be the ones, but knowing that there are, you know, so many other factors and things that we can one, do up front, and also that your partner can do is just really helpful. So thank you for that and adding that piece as well. 
Yeah, that that's such a great point. That could be another whole episode about autism. Yeah, we'll definitely have to have you back on for several different topics. <laughs> <laughs> it would be like a series of episodes with Dr. Carmel. Get ready it's, for that. It's so, much, it's so much fun to be with you all, really. It has been such a pleasure. And I look forward to down the road, having you back to maybe talk about my success story and, you know, yeah, share share all the ins and outs with everyone uh, around how, how that goes. So I'm just putting it out there, manifesting. We'll have your baby cooing. Yeah. Oh my gosh. There we go. <laughs> yes, I am. Yes. Oh, that's yes, crazy. Yes. <laughs> oh my All gosh, right. that's awesome. So it will be. It will be. It has been spoken into existence. It will be. <laughs> it's done. Oh, you guys are awesome. So Dr. Carmel, tell the listeners how they can get in touch with you and learning more about all this gold that you have. Great. Well, I made it really super easy for people to find me. My website is drcarmel.com and that's doctor spelled out D-O-C-T-O-R-C-A-R-M-E-L.com. You can learn all about me, what's available. You can sign up for my free lunch and learn. Somebody told me lunch and learn is a little outdated, but it's at lunch and you're going to learn. (laughs) (laughs) it's the perfect name (laughs) yes so you can sign up for fertility and beyond it is free of charge it's my way of giving back I had somebody tell me once like there's so much for people to know you have to share this it's like okay I can do that we can get together have lunch once a month and take questions and hopefully I'll have answers for the questions (laughs) maybe I'll ask the questions and (laughs) There you go. Like, what do you guys know about this? I think it would be really interesting. Yeah. I love and, that. And I am clear, Carmel, that if you don't have an answer that satisfies you, you will go and get an answer. Yes. I love being a detective. Mm, I love it. We need Kinda more like a like female you. Dr. House, you know, but not the yes. jerk, not being the jerk part, but just the, <laughs> you know, the, just the good part, being a sleuth, right. The good part the smart sleuthy part. Thank you so much, Dr. Carmel, for joining us today. This episode has been amazing and we're like doing the brain emoji, like (laughs) exploding emoji over here. It's been amazing. Thank you so much for your contribution to the world and to, to us, to our listeners and to our listeners. We hope that you, you got something from this episode, whether it was some freedom over there or any struggles that you're going through with this topic or whether it was just to be a sponge, soak up this information and share it. Thank you for joining us. And if you want to reach us, we are available at who says the podcast at gmail.com. And with that, we will catch you later. Bye everyone. Bye. 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 <laughs>